Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, good morning, Gate Church. And it is great to be here to be able to bring today's message to you. And thank you for the privilege to Pastor Mark to be able to do this. I so much appreciate the opportunity to dig in and to share what God is speaking to my heart. So this morning, my desire is to equip you to continue running the race of our faith. You know, the great thing about running the race, we're running together. And we're running toward the goal and the prize. The race that is set before all of us, uh, we can cheerlead on each other as we run this race together. And as we're running this race, today I want us to be challenged to allow ourselves to consider things we have not yet considered before, to evaluate how we are running and, and who is running alongside us and who are we running with? God's desire is that all, everyone be actively engaged in running. How can we invite others along for this wonderful journey experience? Well, we thank Deanna and uh, Victoria for reading from Matthew 28, 16, 20, because that is our challenge. That is our command. We in the church, we know this verse as the great commission. Why? Because Jesus gave us marching orders. Therefore, go and make disciples. How? By teaching them everything I have commanded you. Now, if you're breathing and you're a follower of Christ, this is expected of you, of me to go. Where? Well, start in your home and then Leave the front door, the back door, and go from there. So wherever you are, that's where you're going, and that's where you will be. Making disciples is what we are doing. It's what we're called to do. It's what we are about. You don't need a theological degree or to be called to overseas missions to be about making disciples. You can start right where you are. You see, discipleship is about investing in the lives of others. The root word for discipleship is anybody, anybody, right? Disciple. And that word translated from the Greek means to be a follower, a student of a teacher, of a leader or philosopher. So a disciple is someone who learns. A disciple is a learner, but it's more than that. Jesus, if he would have said, go and make learners, we would simply be in the process of making smarter sinners. And that's not the case. But we are called to make disciples, which is much more, much more than just teaching others. We invest in others. While teaching is part of the process, of course, there's much more required. And we are also called to model the way in which we live. Uh, which is to be Christ-centered. By teaching the truth of the gospel, a transformation happens in the way in which we think, and that has a direct impact on the outcomes in the way that we live. That's how we model. And, and with those 
that we disciple, we live life with one another, up close and personal. Disciple making requires a close relationship with someone. You can't do it when you're distant from them. See, you can impress someone from a distance, but you impact them when you are up close and personal. The fact is, if you ask a Christian what the Great Commission is, they most likely can quote the verse, they can quote the verse reference, they can even give you the page number that it's on, right? But ask a Christian, how do you disciple? And quite often, you're left with a blank stare and they're lost for words because the how is a little challenging to think about. And that's okay. You know, all that means is that we're still all learning. We're still all in the process of being discipled. We are being learners. And as we learn from God's word and from one another, we grow and we learn and we are able to do more. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Proverbs, and it speaks to how we should be with one another. And this includes in the disciple-making process. It is Proverbs 27, 17, which is this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Iron can be used to sharpen iron, and so we, too, may sharpen one another. Have you ever tried to cut a piece of paper with a dull pair of scissors? right? Or have you had a haircut and the scissors were dull? It hurts. It pulls your hair instead of cutting your hair. Or possibly you were attempting to break down a a whole chicken with a dull knife. It's difficult because the tool in which you're using when you're trying to use it, it's not working. It's dull. Its purpose of being sharp is to cut and it's not happening. It needs to be sharpened. The moment that you sharpen the knife and it works and it does what it's supposed to do, what do you say to yourself? You go, why didn't I do this sooner, right? In life, we need to heed the wise counsel found in Proverbs and seek those who can sharpen us. And we need also to seek who we can sharpen. This is the part where I can hear you from here. And you're saying, that's great, Dave, but how? How can I be sharpened and how can I sharpen someone else? And I'm so glad you asked today. I was reminded of something I'm going to share with you. And a few weeks ago, we were engaged in our our men's online life group. And we were talking about those in our lives that had mentored us. And it reminded me that we all need mentors in our lives. And in fact, when we look to the scriptures, it's plain there for us to see. It's written out for us that we are to mentor others as well as be mentored, that we're to teach and that we are to learn, that we are about making disciples and we are to be discipled. Here's something that I hope you will remember and remind yourself as you go through life at the various ages and stages in which you find yourself that you will remember this. It's for today. It's for tomorrow. And it's for years from now. Now, if you want to be effective at disciple making, this is worth remembering. Remember this and apply this to your life. Are you on the edge of your seat yet? You should be because this is life changing stuff. Here it is. Here it is. You ready? Pursue a Paul. Be a Barnabas and train a Timothy. 
Pursue a Paul, be a Barnabas, and train a Timothy. Now, there may be someone out there listening today, and you're saying to yourself, we are not to look to men. We are only to look to Jesus. And yes, you're right. But I would respond this way. Jesus commanded all of us to go and make disciples. We are to follow the model of Jesus that he set by investing ourselves into the lives of others. So then, begin to follow Jesus and grow to maturity, and then the model repeats, and so on and so forth. So while we we should not seek after uh, others and exalt others other than Jesus, we are directed to teach one another and model our lives after the life of Christ. So pursue a Paul. Let's start with pursuing a Paul. Now let me tell you something. You need a Paul in your life. And you need to be a Paul to someone as well. A Paul is someone who has experienced life. Uh, Most often this means it's going to be somebody older than you simply because they've done a few more rotations on this earth than you have. Um, A Paul is someone whose wisdom is connected to their years or their wisdom exceeds their years. A Paul is a spiritual mentor who helps you become who Christ has called you to be. Who are you investing your life into so that they become more like Jesus? Who are you mentoring so that they can use their life, they can use their gifts to serve God and to serve others? Many of us may feel that we're not worthy enough for this, or we're not smart enough, or we're not holy enough of being a Paul to someone. The fact is, Christ is in you. He is enough for you to change someone's life, to change someone's world, because Jesus is in you. We all have been commanded to lead someone else closer to Jesus. Now, if you're a parent, then you are called by God to disciple your children. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, These commandments that I give you to dare to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, if you know someone who's not a Christian, you are called to be a Paul to them by living out your Christian faith in such a way that they want to follow Jesus as well. From the message, it reads this in Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Your job is to speak out on the things that make for solid doctrine. Guide older men into the lives of temperance, dignity, and wisdom, into healthy faith, love, and endurance. Guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks, but models of goodness. By looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, be good wives. We don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. Also guide the young men to live disciplined lives. But mostly, show them all this by doing it yourself. Trustworthy in your teaching, your words solid and sane. Then anyone who is dead set against us when he finds nothing weird or misguided might eventually come around. I like how the message puts it into our modern English context. The call to make disciples is for all followers of Jesus, which requires of us to be a Paul to someone else. And by default, this means that someone else is your Paul. 
questions to ask yourself are this. Who is the person that is in your life that is demonstrating Jesus both through their words and their actions, through their lifestyle? Who could help you mature into your relationship with Jesus? There's nothing saying that you can't have more than one Paul in your life, although most people can't handle more than one Paul, uh, simply because, well, Paul, uh, he or she is going to tell you like it is. And I've said for years, there's no such thing as tough love. There's just love because true love, love that is pure from the heart will speak the truth to guide and direct for the betterment of one that you're investing your life into. So if Paul, if your Paul gets in your business and begins to say things that may hurt you, you may take offense, you need to consider the source. Jesus through your Paul and the heart and love in which it was shared with you and know they have your best interest in what they speak or do. And you've given them permission to be your Paul all for the reason of you being a little more like Jesus each time you learn from or are directed by them. Now, when you rise to the call to invest your life in another as a Paul, there is a huge, huge reward in regards to your spiritual growth and maturing in your faith. The flip side of that is when you do nothing and you do not make an investment into someone, do you know what happens? Nothing. Zip. Zero. Nada. So how can you be a Paul? Answer, yes, when God directs you to invest in another's life. How do you pursue a Paul? Well, the will you mentor me most likely is not going to work. Sort of like um, asking someone to marry you after the first date. You're going to crash and burn. It's not going to work. How do you pursue a Paul? Well, you're going to watch. You're going to listen. You're going to serve. You're going to follow and learn. And just as Paul will invest in you, you too need to invest in being a good student, being intentional about building a strong relationship with one another. Just as Elisha said to Elijah the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6, says, Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he, Elisha, replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, Live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. See, discipling is not something someone does to someone else. It is the process of an intentional pursuit of learning from another's life and ministry. Prayerfully ask the Lord to lead you to a Paul who can have an impact in your life and prayerfully ask the Lord who can you have an impact in their life. Next is be a Barnabas. Everyone can be a Barnabas and everyone is a Barnabas. Well, be a Joseph. See, Barnabas was not this gent's name. Uh, it wasn't his real name. And it reminded me back in high school, which was just a few years ago. I recall a phase I went through of wearing cowboy boots, a leather coat, uh, 
ripped jeans, and a cowboy hat, believe it or not. And if you were to see a photo of me back then, thank goodness they've all been destroyed or shredded or burned. But if you would have seen a photo of me, you would have seen this young kid that was looking a sort of like a James Dean and a John Wayne combined. And, and while I wasn't a, a rebel without a clue or, or the Duke, I was attempting to try to be like them. I wore those boots every day and you could hear me walking down the hallway, clickety clackety, clickety clackety. And I, I'm not sure when it happened, but one day somebody called me Tex and I answered to that afterwards. I was no longer David. I was Tex. And uh, well, I, I no longer have the boots and the hat blew away with the tumbleweeds. Um, thank the Lord. I've been set free from that, from my uh, past wardrobe decisions. See, Joseph was the man's name. Barnabas was his nickname, but it stuck because it described how he lived his life. Obviously, I'm not a cowboy, so text, it didn't stick. But Barnabas, it stuck. It, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Now, even to this day, few people remember that his given name was Joseph. We referred to him as Barnabas. So what was Joseph's, a.k.a. Barnabas's story? Well, the first reference to Joseph is in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. And I'm going to read all of it. It's a little lengthy, but it gives you the context in which we get to discover a little bit about who Barnabas is. All the believers, one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet." This generous act of sacrifice ensured that the needs of those that were in need, those needs were met because of Barnabas' generosity. And later in Acts uh, chapter 11, verses 19 to 26, we read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Do you see how instrumental Barnabas is, how he was to the early church? 
So much so that the term Christian was birthed in Antioch, where he and Paul taught many the ways of Jesus. Now, Barnabas intentionally sought out Paul, formerly the Pharisee called Saul. Paul was formerly the man that enforced persecution of those that confessed Jesus as Lord. Paul was the very reason that these people are gathered in Antioch as they had been scattered. As we read at the beginning of that, that scripture, they had been scattered due to the very persecution that he had overseen. Barnabas made every intention to invest into Paul. And together they reached a great number of people with the gospel message. Barnabas invested into others so that they would be sharpened, strengthened, and encouraged. He willingly gave of his financial resources to help with people's living needs. He, he risked his reputation when he brought Paul to the leadership of the church. Barnabas was putting others ahead of himself, thinking about the people Paul would impact with his ministry as he recognized Paul's calling. A Barnabas, an encourager, sees the positive impact another person makes and can make. They come alongside them to encourage them into their ministry, into their lives. And this reminds me of Aaron and her in Exodus chapter 17, verses 12 to 13. It says, when Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and her brought a stone for him to sit on while they stood beside him and held up his arms, holding them steady until the sun went down. In this way, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites. Now, when Moses' arms were raised... The Israelites were winning the battle. And when his arms needed to rest, he would lower them. And when he did so, the army would take losses. They held his arms up. An act in whatever it takes. We're here to support you, to, to win the battle, to encourage you. See, Barnabas was intentional about inviting Paul into his life to encourage him when nobody else would. Now, I'm sure you know people that are eagerly willing to point out the negatives, right? Where others are lacking, what can go wrong, uh, who's to blame, and so on. That's an anti-Barnabas. Barnabas looked for what could go right and, and did what he could to do to make it happen. Now, one thing to make special note about a Barnabas they don't care if someone else gets the credit. And in fact, they take great delight when others are recognized. We can see that in the scriptures that in the relationship with Paul, Barnabas ends up taking second place. Paul moves forward as the keynote speaker and the leader. Uh, a Barnabas person has a, a way of, as we say, rubbing off, right? Rubbing off on those that they encourage. And Paul himself was so encouraged by Barnabas that we can read in his writings that he had a ministry of encouragement to the early church and to even us in this day. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
So a Barnabas is an encourager, is a positive influence and reinforcer. A Barnabas lifts the arms of you if you need them lifted up. Of course, metaphorically speaking, or at least six feet apart, but if you're literal, um, they share words with them that will build them up. And, and while you're doing this to others, do you know what happens? You will find that in your life, in your life is surrounded by people who are Barnabases. Uh, Barnabases, Barnabai, that's the plural of Barnabas. Well, you'll be surrounded by those that will encourage you as well. We read in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's good preaching. So to sum up, a Barnabas is a brother or sister in Christ who loves you right where you are and encourages you to become the person you can be and are called to be in Christ. A Barnabas is the encouraging co-laborer with whom you share life and is often someone at the same age and stage of life that you're in so that you can relate to one another. This is someone that you're going to run the race with and they with you. This is someone that you will be able to talk to about life, about everyday life, as well as you'll be able to talk to each other about your struggles and the temptations that you come across. Finally, but by no means, there's no order to this, but we're going to talk about training a Timothy next. Train a Timothy. A Timothy is a person who is young in their faith. They are someone that you can help reach their potential in Christ. Not because of you, nope, but because of Christ in you. In this manner, you are fulfilling the role of Paul in their life. Now, every young believer needs someone who will care about them enough to get involved with them and to invest in their life. He or she desires a Paul for direction and guidance in how to live a life that's devoted to Jesus. The world tells us to ask, what can I get out of this arrangement? What can I get out of this relationship? What's in it for me? That's the world's way. That's completely contrary to what our faith tells us. Our faith in Christ tells us we are to be givers. We are to make investments into others, building others up so that they might excel. We read in Acts 20, 35, and all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We often use that scripture reference when we're talking about giving financially, but it is meant to be much more than that. We invest ourselves into others. We give of our time, our talents, our treasures, so that we we live by the words of our Lord. Uh, when someone presents themselves or God directs you to them as a Timothy, it's our responsibility to invest ourselves into their lives. As we train a Timothy, it's a process that will require providing instruction. It's life application type teaching and then observing and evaluating for the purpose of encouraging and building up, but as well as for the purpose of bringing correction to a young believer. 
I recall many years ago, I was with a group of men that were headed away for a uh, weekend retreat. And I was new to this group, but a few of the gents had got to know. Um, and, and there was this one young fella on this bus that we were on and he was at the back of the bus and he was acting completely strange and to the point where I began to uh, suspect and I determined that he was in fact high as a kite and he was carrying on and I'm like so being my younger more judgmental self I, I spoke to the one of the gents that I had got to know who was around my own age and I said hey Bob Bob wasn't his name but hey Bob um, I think that the young punk at the back of the church is stoned and uh, what should we do about it, right? I appreciate how God takes these singular moments in our lives and teaches us lessons that last us a lifetime. Bob replied to me, yep, he's stoned. I'm like, whoa, okay. He says, that's Jason, by the way. And, and the only way I could get him to come to this men's retreat is I said he could come just as he was. And he did. <laughs> Bob then proceeded to tell me a little bit about his own testimony. And when Bob was younger, around the same age as this Jason, he had a serious drug problem to the point where it got to a thousand dollars a day up his nose. And uh, he came to Christ and he was set free from that. And his pastor had connected Bob to an older gentleman who had also been set free from drug addiction in life. And so that gent's name was Frank. So my ears were wide open at this point and, and Bob was opening his heart to me and sharing his story and, and I was absolutely intrigued by what he was sharing. And then Bob said, when Jason showed up at the church, his pastor connected he to Jason so that Bob could be there for him, to walk with him and disciple him. Jason had been going to church for some time, but he was still going through that valley that he was in. But he was growing each day as a follower of Christ. And, and then Bob expanded on what he was sharing and said that as he was discipling Jason, he, Bob, was being discipled by Frank. But in addition, Frank was being discipled by John and, and John by George. George, who was in his late 80s, was discipling John, who was in his 60s. John was discipling Frank in his 50s. Frank was discipling Bob in his 30s. And Bob was discipling Jason in his 20s. And I will never forget hearing how this model it worked. Jason, being the youngest in this model, had the potential to glean so much from being mentored, being discipled, as he was not just being discipled by Bob, but everything from George all the way down was being passed along to Jason. Not only does the student benefit, but as the teacher shares, whatever they share is at the forefront of their heart and their mind, which strengthens their faith as well. In addition, there is a joy to be had in teaching, as we read in 3 John 4, as John was making reference to his friend Gaius. And it says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Wow. And in teaching, there is an accountability as well that we read from Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. It says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you've been following Jesus for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know what? If you've been following Jesus for two weeks, you can 
train somebody that's just accepted Jesus. You're able to do that. We're called to do that. You have something to invest into a Timothy. As a mature believer, you need to step out and find a Timothy. As mentioned earlier, a Timothy that is pursuing a Paul is not going to say, hey, hey, pick me, pick me. It's not going to happen because it's very uncomfortable for most people. So here's how you can do it. Invite one or two Timothys. Invite one or two Timothys. Or if you're a couple, invite a couple and train a couple together. Talk about your Christian experience. Yes, this means you're probably going to share things that you thought you would never have to share. And you know what? It's worth it. It is so worth it. It may mean getting out of your comfort zone. If you're going to be a Paul, it's going to cost you something, but the rewards are amazing as you will have the opportunity to impact another life for the here and now, as well as for eternity. Let me put it to you this way. So let's say you're out for a walk, strolling along a path and, and on this path, you come up to this very steep cliff, a cliff that could cause serious harm or even death. And should someone fall over this thing, they're not going to, it's not going to be a good day for them. And because of the risk for harm or death, uh, there's been lots of signs put up. I'm, I'm good at putting up signs, as you know, but there's been lots of signs put up and, and on the sign, it's like warning, warning. And, and, and there's this depiction of this uh, cliff with a person falling over the cliff. So it's clearly communicating that this is a dangerous area. And along the top of the cliff, there's these guardrails as well placed there to prevent people from going over the cliff. They serve as a, a visual warning that no one should cross over them. It's for their safety. It's for their protection. And as you approach this area, you notice a young person sitting on the guardrail with their feet hanging over onto the edge of the cliff. What are you going to do? This is why training a Timothy is so very important. Do not think for a moment that you're too old or too young for that matter, or not enough. You know, we think that often. I'm not enough. God's word's clear that he's called you, he's equipped you, and he's powered you to, through his Holy Spirit, to train a Timothy. Be a Barnabas. Pursue a Paul. So what do you do for that young person ready to fall over the edge? I know what I'm going to do. What are you doing and what are you going to do? First Thessalonians chapter five, verses, verse 11 reminds us to therefore encourage one another and build each other up just in fact, as you are doing. Don't put today's message off for tomorrow. Consider what you have heard today and think about sharpening that knife today. Why didn't I do this earlier? Pursue a Paul. So pursue a teacher, be a teacher. Be a Barnabas, be an encourager. Train a Timothy. Train a student, be a student. Share the gospel hours and share your life with others. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, we read, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, the words, of our God, but our lives. We made an investment into you. What has been shared this morning requires much from you 
and me, but it is so worth the investment of ourselves into others. A key to everything, a key to everything that I've shared this morning is that you must be intentional. Pray and seek the Lord for direction and be intentional. There are many things in life you can do by yourself, but being a Christian is not one of them. So this morning, during our take two time, I would like you to consider three things. First thing is this, who sharpens you? Second thing is, who are you sharpening? And lastly, how are you sharpening others to be ready for life and eternal life? So let's take these two minutes, reflect on what was spoken today and what the Lord has been speaking to your heart this morning. trust that those two minutes that God spoke to your heart and he brought to mind those in your life that you can be a Paul to or that you can reach out and train a Timothy. Uh, We're going to take a moment now and pray and I welcome my wife Isabel to join me during this time and we're just going to pray for you and for this message as it goes out today. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to bring this message, to equip us to do the work of ministry, and for the calling that you've given each and every believer uh, to go and to make disciples wherever we are, teaching your ways, Lord. And I pray as we've heard these words that they will fall in fertile ground, that they'll take root, and that they'll grow into a wonderful harvest. We thank you, Lord. Have your way. And, in, and I pray also that uh, we would encourage one another, that we would indeed be a Barnabas and that we would be remembered as being a Barnabas throughout our life. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for everyone watching that they would be uh, stirred in their spirit, that they would uh, be intentional to be looking for those people in their lives that can both teach them and be taught. And as Dave spoke today, Lord, that we could uh, 
just be so intentional about uh, uh, continuing in our faith and growing in our faith and leading others to faith. Mm-hmm. So, Lord, I thank you for this message. Would it continue to stir in each of our hearts that desire to be uh, disciplers and to be discipled? We thank you, Lord, that when your word goes out, it does what it is uh, sent out to do. We thank you for that today. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a blessed week, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.